Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to the Vigilance Press podcast. My name is James Dossie. I'm your host and publisher of Vigilance Press. Tonight I have two very central people in the world of mutants and masterminds. We have line developer John Lighthouser with us. Hey, John, how you doing? What? 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 <laughs> <laughs> Are you paying attention? I am. I'm good. How's everybody doing? <laughs> We're doing great. Um, so how's the weather over there in uh, on the the West Coast? It, you know, actually, it is Seattle in uh, February, and it is currently very kind of nice and sunny and dry out there. Yeah. Uh, we have not had much of a winter. Sorry, rest of the world. Yeah, the West uh, over over here in Atlanta, it's been raining the past few days, so I'm just glad it stopped so that I have a no lightning for the podcast. Um, also with us tonight, the always spectacular Professor Christopher <laughs> McLaughlin. Professor, how are you doing? I'm great, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's great to have you on. Thank you. So um, tonight I'm going to be harassing these guys about some uh, projects that people have been eagerly hearing about, or waiting to hear about for a while. But we're going to start off with uh, some... Uh, some new stuff that just started rolling out. To, to, uh, this week, actually, was the very first publication of the first issue of the Gadgets Guides. So, how are those going for you there, John? Uh, well, pretty well. Uh, the first one was Robots, and that's out the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in two, uh, the, that series is uh, every two weeks, something new is coming out. So, uh, the next one is going to be gadget guides for utility items. So utility belts, utility, whatever, bandoliers, whatever you want to call it, um, mm-hmm. you know, little gadget pouches, things like that. So it's going to be a bunch of little uh, useful little items and um, that sort of fun stuff. Uh, it's actually a pretty a pretty good gadget guide. Um, so then, um, just, to, just to kind of flesh it out a little bit for people who aren't, aren't uh, haven't picked it up yet, uh, these are going to be bi-weekly PDFs, um, and uh, they're a little more expensive than the power profiles were, but they're also longer, right? They've got more page count. Yeah, I think on average they're going to be, I believe, at least a page longer, uh-huh. uh, and some of them might be uh, a, a bit lo- even longer than that because um, we're we don't have tons of them written already. We kind of do them in a kind of a rolling you know, month at a time, uh, Steve will write up uh, a few of them and then we'll do development work on them and get them out to the playtesters and, and proofreaders and uh, kind of go week by week. Uh, but he writes a few of them at once and then I just kind of parse them out over time. Um, and then, uh, so it's, uh, it, it's got some good stuff coming up. Um, we've got, I think, a list of about 20 or so different topics, some of which might be split up into two, uh, like vehicles or mechas might be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so we've got. Cool. So you're actually letting us know ahead of time that mechas are on the horizon, because that's the one yeah, I was really yeah. looking forward to. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, we've got. Uh, and we break them down into like either specifics as to what they are or um, even topics like. Uh, we'll be covering things like, uh, you know, u- utility items, archaic weapons, martial arts weapons, projectile weapons, energy weapons, heavy weapons, uh, then armor for things like uh, archaic weapons or, you know, like archaic armor, shields, modern weapon, or modern armor, uh, then vehicles, mecha, uh, alien technology. So that could be a number of different things. Um, and some of these 
uh, we've written down, and uh, I think once um, Steve gets to the executing of them, he might say, this really isn't going to work because it's not a well-defined enough topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got uh, we've got a pretty good list, so uh, we're going to do a, a, a bunch of different things. So you'll see some stuff on headquarters and that sort of thing, and espionage items, uh, even magic and psychic items. So th- there'll be quite a quite a bit of different stuff. Cool, cool. Now, as I understand it, the original plan was to alternate with another another uh, series. Is that still the plan, or are you guys uh, um, starting that that other stuff a little later? Yeah, I think um, I'm not actually sure where. Well, actually, uh, since it is uh, Saturday, and uh, I haven't heard yet if we're having uh, if we have the art ready for this Wednesday, I'm going to say that the one for this Wednesday is not going to be ready. <laughs> <laughs> I could be surprised, but that's my guess. Okay. Uh, so we'll probably see a new power prof or a new gadget guide in uh, in a week and a half, and then probably the week after that we'll see the first of the wild cards products. Cool, cool. Um, so who's working on the wild cards products? Uh, the wild card stuff was all written by uh, a tag team. It was written by uh, the. Uh, John uh, JJ Miller, mm-hmm. uh, Miller, who has been associated with the uh, Wild Cards Consortium for years and years and years, uh, and he is sort of uh, uh, he and George R. R. Martin are, are long good time, long good time friends. Good long time, <laughs> good time friends. I don't know. Yes, the yes, kind of my other version means something very different. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they've been friends for a long time. I will say. And uh, so John did all the writing on it, and then Steve went through and uh, did all the stat blocks for the characters. And uh, very cool. They're they're pretty fun, and they're all. Um, so this is the first time Wildcard stuff is appearing in third edition. Uh, so we're actually going to be releasing like a uh, kind of a little Wildcards primer, uh, which is which talks about um, how to convert the characters, kind of very briefly. Because uh, there's not a huge, huge difference between second and third editions, uh, and then goes over some of the specifics of the wild cards universe. So if you are playing a wild cards game, and I know there are actually quite a number of people who are, um, you'll have information on how to do that in third edition, with information on things like having a deuce power and having uh, being an ace or being a joker, and what that what that actually means in the game. So uh, it should be it should be pretty fun, and I think that's going to be um, coming out probably at the same time as the first wild cards um scare sheet which is what the the series of little character write-ups are called or scare sheets ah cool 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 so fans of the wild um george r martin stuff will definitely be looking forward to that um now these are all going to be in third edition right so mm-hmm. okay so um is there any news um or um plans to take any of the existing wild cards publications and update them for third edition there's not. Uh, we're kind of holding off to see exactly what we want to do uh, and what's going to happen with the um, with the uh, wild cards license. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get the feeling something may have happened recently, but I have not uh, heard any official word on that uh, actually moving forward or anything. But uh, I know I know something happened with Martin. Uh, where he had just signed some other deal with um, with HBO for another series, I believe. Right. Well, H- actually, they they announced that uh, that they've hired him 
to create new IPs for HBO directly. Okay, so it's um, new. Yep. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he's going to include wild cards or any of his other things in that. But he's basically they basically said, you know, Game of Thrones is so amazingly popular. We want you to create, you know, or or to to, to help us set up, you know, a whole new line of shows. So. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, uh, if, if they did wild cards, I would, that, that would probably be like my 15 year old, you know, wet dream TV show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's actually a really interesting thing in terms of settings that are available and have been around for a long time that are superhero-y, uh, wild cards is actually, I mean, it's made for TV. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it would be a great series for TV just because it's realistic, but strange and funky and and it has that gritty edge to it it has a its own kind of worldview but it's also got a a a very character centric storyline yeah so i think that would be really accessible to uh people who like the game of thrones type drama yeah it should be uh it should be pretty fun to see whatever happens uh to see something come together so uh and we're really just kind of keeping our foot in the in the wild cards pool because we do like the the property and hope to see something great happen with it and if it does we'll we'll be ready to go fantastic awesome well now let's uh see is there anything else we wanted to talk to talk about uh touch on with the gadget guides before i move on to the next topic um uh, i think that was kind of uh everything from my perspective i named off a bunch of different gadget guides we've got coming mm-hmm. up so hopefully people get a kick out of that um but yeah they'll all be you know five six seven pages long depending on what the content is some of them might include long lists of uh weapons and uh some of them might include more rules and optional rules and stuff on inventing and uh so there'll be uh, a good would, mix would of you stuff. consider would you consider them aimed more at uh experienced mutants and masterminds players or are these more um i mean are they just as accessible to not new players uh, you know, I'd actually probably say they're more, uh, sorry, I, I would say it depends on which um, gadget guide you're talking about. Um, so I think like the the robot gadget guide probably has more to offer GMs than it does players. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the, uh, like some of the upcoming, um, you know, like weapons and archaic armor and that sort of stuff probably appeals to both to any type of player at any level um but also appeals to to both players and gms just because it's useful for writing up a bad guy or writing up a good guy so um i I think people are going to have to kind of judge each one as they come out to see what they're more interested or what they're more uh, applicable for cool cool Hmm. And some of the ones upcoming are going to have some delicious recipes in there. So you definitely want to check that out. <laughs> you joke, and yet I'm sure Nicole could provide some wonderful oh, You know, Nicole I know, has I, been... I was thinking that as I was saying it, yeah. <laughs> Nicole has been filling my Facebook feed and my Google Plus feed with beautiful pictures of food that make me want to move to Seattle. <laughs> yeah. She is a, uh, definitely a, a hobby cooker and is very, very good at it, so... All sorts of good stuff she's got. Yeah, one of the one of the uh, you know when I had more people helping me out with the podcast and it wasn't just me kind of recording things and and getting it out to folks. I had this kind of idea that it would be really fun to do a segment on geek cookery 
<laughs> and get people to you know tell us their favorite you know game night recipes or what have right. you. But yeah. uh, that's the show you need to have Nicole on. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if we can't put together an episode about it or something. If in, if people are interested, please reply to the uh, <laughs> podcast and let us know. I'll I'll see if I can't uh, get her attention, and we'll try and do something like that. But um, all right. So moving on to my next topic, um, I think we can touch on this briefly and then move on because um, John's probably not the right guy to ask. But uh, some folks were interested in your uh, quote unquote freebooter policy now. Could you explain what that is to people and where you guys are at putting that together? It's it has something to well it's 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 for GMs running demo games at cons, right? Yeah, it's actually it's going to be more than that. So one of the things um, Green Earning has not done well in the past, and we want to try and fix, is uh, get people to run our games at conventions. Um, and, uh, there's many, many reasons for that, but the, the main thing is conventions are a great place to see games played that you don't normally get to see played. And, uh, the, the company has been around for about 10 years, but our games don't get played very much at conventions, uh, especially places like Gen Con and Origins and things like that. Uh, and there are, you know, the, the random game here and there that people put together and play, but we'd like to encourage and foster more of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to that end, we've brought on um, Donna Pryor, who's uh, done a lot of community organizing, that sort of thing, in the, in the gaming space, in the computer game space, um, to a computer, uh, rather community management sort of thing. Um, and so she's come on board in the last month-ish, I want to say. Uh, put together a few documents, started talking to us about, um, you know, let's try and get together some nice short demo, not scripts, but short demo scenarios that we can provide to people if they want to run a demo at a store or at a game club or at a convention. Um, and so all that stuff is kind of in the works right now. Uh, and we talked about this earlier, James, but uh, I'd certainly recommend once Donna's got some more things settled, having her on the show to, to kind of talk things up. But we want to, you know, give more people a chance to play the games and uh, promote the games and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I've already sent out some uh, requests to her. I'm going to add a request to invite her to the show if she wants to be in because it'd be nice to hear from some of the lady Ronin from time to time. Yeah. Because um, there are some girls in the on the team like Nicole and Donna. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's not a guys club like some people might think just from all of our podcasts. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would definitely love to have her on the show and uh, find out what she has in uh, plans for that that sort of uh, that sort of negotiation or, or I'm sorry for, for negotiating that uh, that sort of promotion of, of trying to get your stuff run at cons and that's actually something that uh, I've been trying to focus on this year. My Mistake in previous cons, I think, was to try and focus too much on, hey, I'm here to sell my goods, so I'm going to do a, a a bunch of games I'm going to run at Gen Con, which happened to be Mutants and Masterminds games. So um, yeah, we'll be uh, demoing our um, uh, six-gun product, uh, which should the PDF should be up soon, and then we have the um, uh, Jack Norris's... Uh, Kaiju Cultists, which began as kind of a, a one-off reference in our Valentine's Day thing last year, and uh, um, 
clearly with Pacific Rim coming up, it's a good opportunity to include mm-hmm. giant monsters in our Vigilance Press stuff. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll have that um, hopefully ready before that. But uh, I actually have Dennis Lubay working on artwork for, for Kaiju Cultists. So, oh, yeah, yeah. If you guys remember the old uh, Aaron Alston... Um, Strike Force supplement. Yeah. That, that was mostly Dennis's artwork. So yeah, um, love that book. Absolutely yeah, he, love that book. Yeah. He's such a good artist. He's such a pro, and I love, I love kind of the, his sculpted uh, way of drawing the, the the human form. He's got this kind of this this very three dimensional look to his stuff, which really looks nice. Yeah, and, I look uh, forward to that. I, I just I look through that. I probably partially read through that book every year because uh, I just loved it. And uh, I, I really enjoy Lube's artwork as well, so I'll be interested to see what you guys come up with. Yeah, cool, cool. And uh, the end, end Vigilance Press plug and move back to Green Running. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you guys just had a fairly successful Kickstarter for your Mutants and Masterminds 10th Anniversary Edition Heroes Handbook. Um, and um, as one of the Kickstarters, I or I, as one of the people supporting the pro- Kickstarter, I got the email from Chris saying you guys had all turned in your uh, your essays and adventures. All the text was done, so it was now in, in layout. So how does it feel to to get that text in there? See, so you did some essays for it too, right, John? I did, so, and uh, so did Christopher. Yeah, well, yeah, Christopher has actually done the adventure that, that kind of made me like go, oh, geez, I can't give more money to this project than I already have, but I would buy it all over again just for that. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and talk about that, Christopher. You you contributed an adventure, and uh, what? Well, tell us a little bit about it. Well, uh, once uh, it became clear that I was going to do it, you know, I, I you know I was the last stretch goal, so you know I I, I have to admit, and I and I hate to I I, I sat there wondering like. Wow, I wouldn't give this much money to read my stuff, but God bless the Eminem fans. They have more faith in me than I do. And they, really? they, you wouldn't, they, you wouldn't pay forty dollars to read your own stuff, or <laughs> it was like it was like it was like five G's to get me in the book. I may be off, but oh, oh yes. wow, yes. you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, my my school barely finds me that valuable. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, so. <laughs> you know, but but God, but God bless the Eminem fans. That you know, they they came through and ponied up ponied up the bucks, and 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 I can't thank them enough for that. So then it became all right. Now I have to come up with an idea to be worth that investment. And uh, I I started thinking about well, okay, I've done a lot of things for Eminem that I'm in, immensely proud of. The stuff we did on DC and got an any for uh, Emerald City stuff like that. But if uh, you know I were to be hit by a truck, you know, crushed by a meteorite, or you know, killed by an irate Eminem uh, a fanboy or something like that, you know, like like take that Nart Noir guy or something like that, you know. Um, <laughs> I would best be remembered, I think, for Time of Crisis and Time of Vengeance. So I thought, okay, it's the 10th anniversary. Let's do something that in a way kind of um, pays tribute to both of those. So it's knotting together two leftover plot elements from those two adventures and uh, putting the thing that I think I'm maybe – the single thing I'm best known for, and that's Superpowered Apes. Yes. So it's a little bit of time of crisis, a little bit of time of vengeance with superpowered apes tying it all together. And, you know, I can't write a book without getting in at least one Mystery Science Theater 3000 reference. So, of course, it is called Time of the Apes. <laughs> and we, we keep the time thing going with me. 
So it fell it fell together it fell together nicely, and uh, that that was kind of my Christmas break putting that together. And uh, I'm I'm really really happy with how it came out. Well, I can't wait to read it, and I have to say that uh, John, if you need proofreaders, keep me in mind. <laughs> <laughs> All so, right, that sounds good. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Um, and you can't go wrong with the Talking Apes, as any DC Comics fan can know uh, would know. But um, we have uh, a couple of other articles in there too, as well. You had uh, two adventures, is that right? Did uh, did uh, Seth do yeah. another one? Yeah, and then Seth Johnson wrote an adventure, which is called. I was just looking at it, it's called Ghost Town. Nice. Yes, and it is uh, so. Uh, we kind of split the difference on the adventures. So Chris's is, is in in theory set in Freedom City. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, with any of these adventures, you can kind of move them wherever you need to. Uh, and then for Seth's adventure, Ghost Town, he, he set it in Emerald City. And so uh, it was kind of interesting because he came up with this idea and you know pitched it to us and uh, wrote it up pretty quickly and got us some information on it. And we were like, oh, great. We haven't talked about any of this stuff in the Emerald City book, but thankfully we could kind of adapt it to some of the things in Emerald City. And uh, so we added a, a small section to the Emerald City uh, mythology even before the book was out the door. So nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting adventure. And actually, uh, Steve used it to play the... Um, uh, for for the couple of people who did the Kickstarter to back at the level that they got Steve to run a game for him for them uh, mm-hmm. and their friends, the guys from Punching for Justice. Have you heard that podcast? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those guys. They, those guys do a good job. I have, uh, yeah, yeah. I've got to try and ring them up sometime and see if we can't do something together. Yeah, very good. I was on their uh, podcast a while ago. Very nice guys. Uh, but they backed at that level, and uh, so Steve ran a game for them, and he actually used Seth's Adventure, uh, and they recorded it. And they're going, even though they paid all this money for it, they're going to give it away for free. Uh, the the recorded version uh, in their podcast. So hopefully, we'll hear an actual play of that coming up soon. Nice. So if you want to. Play that adventure. Don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler you alert. Spoiler don't, don't, alert. <laughs> don't I'm listen. sure. No, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, don't listen, don't listen, except listen, but don't yeah, listen I to could. that one. <laughs> uh, and I, I, knew, I do know Steve had to shorten things up because uh, it would probably take quite a bit to fit everything in that adventure into uh, a single, whatever, four to six hour, maybe six hour play period, but. Uh, we'll we'll see how it goes because I haven't heard it yet either. But uh, yeah, he said it went well, and uh, it will hopefully be up online sometime soon. Fantastic! It's not, it's not in our control. It's uh, the Punching for Justice guys, so sure. I don't know what their day to day lives are like. So now this was a little fuzzy for me um, when I was originally uh, jumping in on the po- um, on the Kickstarter, but um, you know since I was. Participating in the Kickstarter it wasn't really an issue, but um, it seemed like there were going to be two editions of the book printed, one for the Kickstarter and one that would be um, for for regular sale. Um, is the content going to be any different between the two versions of the book? Uh, I know there is a slight difference between the two books, but I, unfortunately, am not the one keeping track of what is going where, uh, okay. which sounds silly, but I just make sure all the work gets done, and then Hal and Chris make sure it all goes in the right places. <laughs> okay, okay. So we got to get Chris Premus on the on the show when he's not um, 
when he's not a, uh, a going nuts trying to uh, catch up with a bunch of other stuff. Yes, exactly. He's been. I know he's been uh, at at a different convention almost every other week the past couple of months. It seems. Yeah, like. he's been pretty busy lately, and uh, one of the things that's taken up all of his work time now is uh, finalizing the Dragon Age set three, mm-hmm. which is uh, certainly behind schedule, but is is looking good. Uh, there, he and uh, Jack, who you know well, Jack Norris, been. Yep. Uh, pounding away on that thing and it's really uh, they've come up with just some great stuff for it uh it's it's pretty fun to watch yeah, every every time i talk to jack on the the phone it's I, I usually try to you know set aside a few minutes to ask him about how that's going and i'm really excited to see what how the third set looks and where everything's going from from there because it sounds like they got some really cool plans i don't know how much i'm allowed to talk about because i don't know what's actually on the schedule yet or not yeah, and Chris, is hanging, uh, and Chris is hanging with his celebrity friends, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Will Wheaton and uh, and uh, those uh, a couple of those guys were um, on the... Well, one, one uh, they did the, um, the tabletop episode on Dragon Age, and I know that one of those guys was from the American version of Being Human. The other guy was mm-hmm. from... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what was it? Um, the geeky sitcom show that I can never remember the name of. Uh, Big Bang Theory. Big Bang, yeah. Yeah, because you know that name should be so hard to remember. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then I don't, I, I didn't recognize the other guy, but uh, he, I've seen him pop up a lot mm. since then. But I, I didn't actually know him before that episode. But yeah. Um, yeah, that was a real fun video to watch. It was really entertaining watching Chris run games. I, I think he should get to run more games at cons. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is certainly something that as you work in the gaming industry, it becomes less and less frequent that you run games at conventions because especially if you're, you know, the head of the company, because you have many, many other things to do than than run games for people, even though if that's what you might want to be doing. Cool, cool. So um, we segued from the 10th anniversary edition. So uh, before we before we leave that topic entirely, let me get back to the book real quick. Um, you've got two adventures, and you have a number of other essays in there. Um, about mm-hmm. how how many pages uh, would you say, or would you guess, of additional content in addition to the actual um, Heroes Handbook? Would you say are in the new book? Uh, see, all I have are Word documents. I don't okay. have okay. the actual uh, book put together in front of me. That's all stuff Hal handles, so I wish I could answer your question, but I can't. I think it's going to be a pretty significant number of pages that are... Uh, I mean, uh, about how... Compared to... About how many, let's see, how many essays are we talking about? In oh, well, well, I have the essays, right? Well, yeah, essays are easy, huh? Yeah. That was fair. Uh... <laughs> Let's see. So the essay is uh, in a Word document. It is uh, about 7,200 words, which is 11 pages. And Hal still needs to add a sidebar on being an art director for Eminem. But that his, stuff, his essay just got relegated to a sidebar. <laughs> well, no. What's interesting is uh, it was originally part of the kind of the flow of the of the essays in general mm-hmm. um but the art directing has taken place over a decade mm-hmm. uh and so uh there was no one spot that i was like this should go here uh and so i talked to him and i said can i have you 
do your thing as a sidebar? And he said, oh, sidebar, that's all I get, just like you guys did. Uh, and I was like, no, because it, it doesn't fit. Like, you know, there's no good place to talk about it, but I think it's important. And he was like, yeah, no, it's fine. Make it a, make it a sidebar. And so he's uh, so as he's laying out the book, he's going to leave space for himself to write the sidebar. And then he can write it to fit. So if he needs to do a half page or a full page, even he can he can make that work. Cool. Um, yeah, if, so it's if, actually, he really, if he really wants to do the, the, the full experience of being an art director and a layout guy in the game industry, he should just put his name, the title, and below that, C page double X. And leave exactly. exactly. <laughs> or, um, you know, maybe, maybe just you know, a, a four of, you know, an imprint of his forehead with like blood around it or something banging his head on the keyboard or whatever. <laughs> But um, as, as James knows from this week, when I sent him an email for something he's writing for me, we don't use page at, at or page. No, it's true. It's true. We, do, we use uh, we use a different. Uh, it's kind of, it's kind of funny because working for Green Ronin, I've been trying to borrow as many of your guys um, formatting as possible to use. And it's actually been helping us out on uh, on my end as uh, uh, as a publisher because um, it's like oh hey yeah that solves that problem I didn't even know we had until I yeah. looked at it <laughs> so yeah. it's uh, an at at stands out a lot more mm-hmm. there are rarely characters who or you rarely use at ats anywhere in uh, in writing the, the the little not the ampersand symbol what's that thing called the arrow boss Oh geez, I forget what it's called, but the um, it's, it's a symbol in your email. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's called an arrow boss, and I only remember that because of icons. There's mm-hmm. a villain named arrow boss, <laughs> um, and then uh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, but numbers we use a lot, or XX we use a lot. There can be mm-hmm. characters with XX in their name, so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other things that. Uh, well, I mean, it, yeah, because you don't use it, you can do a quick search for it and, and, and miss it. But if you ever see in somebody's document where the the little ampersand appears twice, that was meant to be something else. <laughs> so if you, yeah, catch exactly. us, if you catch us at Vigilance making that mistake, it's like, just, just, just like, yeah, we, we, we need to go in and edit that PDF and fix that. <laughs> I tried to get him to use the symbol that Prince changed his name to in the 90s. and. <laughs> That would be fun. <laughs> All right. So, is there anything else we wanted to talk about with the? Uh, oh, what what's our what's our timetable? Do you know on the uh, on the layout so far, or is there a whole lot of new artwork going into the new book? Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of new artwork. I know there will be new artwork in the adventures, which is mm-hmm. being worked on right now. Um, and so there will be stuff that people will be seeing for the first time, uh, and then there will also be. Um, artwork for the converted characters that uh, everybody voted on uh, and we've got that list and Steve's already converted them and I am going through and doing the development work on them and uh, are, we to, all, are, are we allowed to say who it, who's in it yet or is that a surprise? You know, uh, I would but I'm actually going to write a uh, one of our Ronin Roundtables uh, about that very topic so I will be revealing all of that information there. Okay. I think we may have actually sent it around to the backers already, but now that you say that, maybe we have not. Um, so it is, uh, I've, I've got them right here in my hot little hands. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but they are, uh, there are some non-surprises and there are some surprises. So, uh, like, non-surprise, the atomic brain made it in. So. Awesome. Yes. Hand, uh, hands down, my favorite villain from the, uh, the Crooks book. 
Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, just I mean, there were some great characters in that book, but the Atomic Brain just it felt like such a Doctor Doom style character. You know, somebody who would be around. Uh, you know, who would kind of connect different decades of of the setting? You know, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's somebody who can you can keep coming back to no matter what genre of superhero game you're 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 running. I mean, he's yeah, kind yeah. of perfect for that. But uh, what? And can you tell us one of the surprises? Uh, that would ruin the surprise. Okay, come on, <laughs> try it here. Uh, so the biggest surprise to me was actually the inclusion of the villain group, The Clique. The Clique? Yes, oh, or The Clique. However yeah. you wish to pronounce that word. Uh, but yes, they are They are part of... They were, in fact, the... the I don't want to say least popular. They were the characters who... Well, I say that. I don't know. They, they might be the group that received the least... The fewest votes, but, you know, they were still in the top ten. And they, they won out over... Orion, who is actually one I actually wanted to see in the game or in the in the book. Well, I think you remember Orion from the mm-hmm, first mm-hmm. edition? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, did he not make it into second edition? I'm trying to remember now. Uh, I think he was in second edition, yeah, but he's not. He hasn't appeared in third. But yeah, so the 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 clique is is one of the groups that made it. Okay, cool, cool. I'm looking forward to seeing them. I they, I always. Uh, I thought they were a a fun kind of um, off off the wall style of, of of character team. So yeah, yeah, I always liked them too. And what's funny is right now I'm actually my day job. I work with Kyle Hunter, who was one of the uh, members of Super Unicorn back in the day cool. when they were doing all the art direction and graphic design and did the Crooks book. And, uh, so yeah, there's uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. Excellent, excellent. Well, it's good to hear that. I was afraid we'd never get to see those characters again, so it's great to see them coming back for third edition. Yeah. All right, so let's get back down to involving Christopher in the conversation again, because we now want to bug you about Emerald City. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we um, Christopher has done a lot for the Emerald City book, uh, as I understand it. Um, if not the whole thing, <laughs> I did. I did. I did. He, did, he did do the whole thing. He did not do the whole thing, but he did do, he did do quite a bit. Yeah. No, I. You know, I. I. You know. Well, here we go. We had to do this whole city and uh, the Pacific Northwest. So uh, you know, they, they John called the Southern guy, the New Englander, and the Australian, and, and went to work. <laughs> Yeah, I had to find and replace for Vegemite, uh, <laughs> and uh, that's that's Darren, I, right? You're talking about, or yes, mm, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, Darren Bulmer is from Australia. In fact, I have something I am mailing off to him in, in, within the next few days. Super. But he uh, he he did a very good job. I, I enjoyed Darren's work a lot. Yes, um, mm. uh, he was he was it was a. Uh, Really fun to talk to him and brainstorm some ideas when when we were working on some stuff together. So that was uh, uh I've been actually trying to think of something that we could do together because he's also got some artistic leanings and like like myself. So yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I I I can only do so many projects at once, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So and Christopher, I'm curious because I when I get the text. When I get everything, I compile it into one document, 
uh, and then mm-hmm. arrange it uh, obviously by chapter. So if you wrote like chapter okay. one and chapter two, so <laughs> w- what what sections did you actually write? Because all I all I have is a long block of text that <laughs> okay. no longer know who wrote what. So. <laughs> okay. Well, you see, this this is why working on that book was such a great great experience for me because when I saw how the book was br- was broken down and saw who was writing what. Uh, there were a lot of stuff that was on there saying, okay, I can understand why John would ask me to write this. And parts of it are like, I have no idea why he's giving this to me. <laughs> but it, it wound up being uh, probably the most that I've had to stretch myself as an author in, in some time. And it, and it felt good. It really, I really enjoyed the challenge of writing stuff that's out of my niche, my comfort zone, the sort of shtick that I have developed in this industry. And I was just really grateful for the chance to write about a bunch of stuff that I don't think anybody else on earth would have ever asked me to cover <laughs> you know but uh, but taking it from the top um steve kenson and i split the history section um steve got all of the primordial stuff like like the caveman times emerald city and things like that and then i take over uh right around the 19th century so like ah yes i'm coming in at the musket age ah yes i see john what john was thinking precisely here so, yes i I, st- I step in at that point and i'm good till the end of world war ii and you know once you start getting you know uh color tv and stuff like that kenson comes back in and finishes things up and uh then uh, we uh we split the uh we split the city into different areas and uh, I wound up writing the heavily Asian part of town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about stretching yourself as a writer. Um, I got to write well, sort it's of, because the- of It's because of your Asian background. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's like every time I meet you, all I can think of is you in, in like a, a, a Taoist priest outfit, you know. <laughs> You know, I really, I, you know, I think, I think the closest I've ever gotten is all the time, to- all the times during my dating years when I lied about being a ninja. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, uh, so yeah, so that was fun. That was that was great, and it's an important part of what we what we try to put in Emerald City to make it distinct. So mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, you know, here's one of the main sections that's going to sell this as a unique place. So, you know, I've you know I felt the pressure, but I thought I did I thought I did well with that. I got to write the nouveau riche part of town. And you know, you know, being a lifelong educator, if it's one thing I know about, it's money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I got to write. I got to write like the heavily college part of town. Again, there I'm seeing precisely what John what John was thinking, and that and that and that was that was great, great, great fun. Uh, and then uh, we split up the the uh, the social aspects of of the, of the town. And uh, again, parts of that I, I kind of see where I got it. Like I got to do like the Emerald City sports scene. And of the three of us, I'm probably the biggest sports guy. So I, I, you know, okay, I totally saw where I got that, and that was that was that was great fun. And for you know, for those people where if like your gaming nerdetry intersects with your uh, sports nerdetry, I put in a bunch of shout outs in there. You know, re- references to the fact that you know Emerald City used to have a Canadian football league team. You know, just little minutiae like that that I put in that I put in just to make it re- seem like a real place. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, you know, and and uh, you know, unless and unless something got changed, and I pray that it hasn't. Their NFL team is the Emerald City Bulldogs, and anybody who's Facebook friends with me probably knows where that comes from. <laughs> well, anyways, it's actually it's now the Emerald City Kitty Cats. Oh, <laughs> oh. That, that, the sound you heard is my heart snapping across the internet. Yeah. Well, I think I think anyone who's listened to you on the podcast before has heard at least one uh, um, 
bulldog intersection with the podcast time. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I've always – like my, my emergency plan, if I ever have to bail in the middle of a podcast, is I'm just putting the headphones on her. <laughs> <laughs> and see if anybody notice the, notices the difference, you know, or if it may actually get better with her, you know, snorting into the microphone. <laughs> you know. And uh, and then and then there then there was the section that that has given me my go to story on what it was like working for Emerald City, and uh, that is uh, I got to I got to write up uh, Emerald City's nightlife, which which was fun, and I also got to write up Emerald City's leading gay bar. Fantastic. That's and true. talk about talk about something I never thought I would ever get asked to write about. <laughs> <laughs> And I felt so honored and so and so respected that I got that gig over 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 my two wonderful co-writers. I thought, wow, here's here's a line developer that's got a lot of faith in my abilities. So. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I the reason why that's particularly funny, as because I hadn't even thought about it, is uh, because both of the co-writers are are gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah they're both. I, I, am, yes. I am proudly known as the token straight guy. <laughs> Yeah, that is I, kind I, wear of that, I wear that as a badge of honor. That's awesome. So, so yeah, that 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 made me smile, and I I hope I rose to the challenge on that because that <laughs> that was definitely something I would never have guessed I would be asked to do. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah. That is that is kind of a. Was there a uh, particular reasoning behind that, John, or is that just a uh, no. just how the, how how the project broke down? No, it was really just how the project broke down because <laughs> it was uh, there were certain sections like he like Christopher was saying earlier uh, that uh, I knew he would be better at doing uh, than Steve. Well, and that's not even necessarily true, but uh, it's I think he and Steve would have done an equally good job on all of the history section. Uh, but I think Steve actually said, hey, I'd really like to do these sections. Uh, and he has a rather limited amount of time to, to dedicate to each of the, the different projects. So it's always nice to be able to split things up. And, and I have someone great like Christopher to fall back on when when Steve doesn't have time to do everything. So uh, it's uh, it really just has to do with what like what's in the project, what we need to have covered and what everybody has time and skill to do. So. I mean, sure. Uh, Chris has done a lot of the history research already, so it, like would save Steve time on writing it from that perspective. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, Steve, it, both Steve and Chris know their stuff, and it's it's really just a matter of like I have no fear of if if Steve can't write something, I know I can get Chris to write it, and it will be it will be different, but it will be equally as good. So, mm-hmm. thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Sorry, okay. I guess I should I shouldn't say that while you can hear me. <laughs> should, should I and, talk about our little historical extra, or are we going to keep that under wraps? Uh, what's the historical extra? Is that the group that you came with, up with? The, yeah, with the Victory Squadron. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I think that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, um, one of, one of the things that that we're going to be doing we're going to be doing as a as a web, as a web extra is for for the people. Well, the thing about Emerald City is it's set up to be a place where there hasn't been a whole lot of supers activity. So that's the place where your group can go and be the leading superhero team and sort of build your own legacy. But I, I you know, for people that wanted like at least some sort of legacy that you could touch upon, I did uh, come up with like a regional superhero team for them called the victory squadron who were all completely gone by 1950, pretty much. And so one of the things that John was kind enough to let me do is because as I was coming up with that team, by the time I had finished doing like the capsule descriptions of them, I had every issue of their comic book in my head. I could see <laughs> the covers and the BB gun ads. So to kind of, you know, <laughs> yes, yes. 
you know, and, and, to, and to help me get this out of my system, we're, we're doing a web extra. We're going we're gonna to give you like detailed stats and a little more background information on them in case you wanted to do more legacy stuff or if you wanted to do a Golden Age Emerald City campaign. Cool. Very cool. This is the kind of stuff I kind of wish that, um, you know, these little web extras uh, had been around. I mean, it, it's something that's that's been, you know, you guys have been doing and other companies have been doing a lot more of in the past few years. And I, I really enjoy it because it's a little something extra that may not fit into the narrative of a book or a source book, but it's 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 really fun and useful and it keeps people engaged in what you're doing. Um, and I kind of wish that kind of stuff had been around, like, in the first or second editions of Mutants and Masterminds, where, you know, you had some of the characters that you would name drop, and then you would never see stats for, um, like, uh, the Blues Man and things like that. I mean, some of them did, you did kind of return to them eventually, but, uh, you know, those those kind of things are always fun for me to go, hey, hey, I really want to hear more about this guy. <laughs> well, you know, it, you know, while we're on the topic, one of the things that I think that you'll like about uh, Time of the Apes is that it enabled me to stat up somebody that just got name-dropped in Time of Vengeance. Oh. And I can act, uh, yeah, I can actually bring this character back with, like, stats and a rampage and things like that. So, Kick-ass. Yeah, so, cool, yeah, cool. So we are, we are at least resolving one of those. Very cool, very cool. Always good to hear that. All right, so... Um, what else can we talk about Emerald City uh, except for saying that it's not out yet, but it's coming soon? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's basically what we can say. Uh, I know Hal is working. <laughs> Hal is working on it. We've got art coming in. Uh, I'm seeing more and more every day, and uh, I have a rough layout of the book, which we have already, uh, uh, I believe, done proofing on, and we have uh, written some fill text for. So, and when I refer to fill text, I mean. Uh, Hal has a pathological hatred of any white space in a book. Mm -hmm. So if you if you look at a, a any pretty much any book we produce, if there is uh, you know two thirds of a page of text and then there's a third of a page that would be blank, there will either be a new sidebar, or we will add text, or Hal will put some kind of image there. So you'll see like in the Mutants Masterminds book, you'll see the Mutants Masterminds logo in weird places and you're like why is that there it's because it, there cannot be white space <laughs> i really do i really well, do we, like that um, about the books go ahead christopher i was saying we, we, we could talk about the format change for the people that haven't heard like the cool new way that the that this product is coming to you now oh yes oh yeah uh, i think we mentioned it once before but it was originally announced as a box set but it's going to be different now chris talk to us about it oh this is this should be john this, oh, is, okay. this is all John's awesome idea. This okay. Should be him. Yeah, it's uh, instead of being a box set, which uh, I think I've mentioned other places before, uh, there's a significant value-added tax in Europe on boxed games. And so if the game were boxed, it would get much more expensive for people overseas. Uh, and so instead of doing that, we said, hey, it would be really cool to do a slipcase. Uh, and then we do three books in there. Uh, plus, a, I believe there's also going to be a map, uh, and the three books are going to be the. Uh, uh, okay, now I can't even remember the name of my own adventure. Uh, <laughs> and the Emerald City, City Knights. Knights. Yes, Emerald City Knights <laughs> Adventure, uh, and then there's a player's guide to Emerald City, which includes all the information uh, that you would see 
uh, that would be useful to a player. So it includes information about the city. It includes information about different origins that are possible in the in the setting, uh, and then it includes uh, you know some some sample characters, the the Sentinels characters in the back of the book uh, to kind of take a gander at or even use if you want to. Um, so it's got all sorts of good information in there for players. And then there's the Secrets of Emerald City, which is the Game Master book. Uh, and I think between the th- and that, that includes a number of villains that haven't been seen previously, along with maybe a couple that have. I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Um, and uh, they're all looking really good. The art we've been getting in for those is really fantastic. Uh, excellent, and excellent. So any any any, fam- any uh, familiar artists that we should be looking forward to, or? Oh yeah, a lot of the a lot of the people that we use on a regular basis for third edition. Um, I think uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Albert Foki or Foshi or Foshe or F O C H E. Sean, another one I can't pronounce his name. Sean, I think it's Isaacs or Isaacs. Yeah, he, I would love to meet the guy because uh, his art really is fantastic. Is he is he, is he from Canada or where's he? I think you know he's from he's South Africa, from? actually. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, but his, I, I just really love his stuff because it has a slight um, uh, kind of John Burnish feel sometimes, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. sometimes it's it's really his own thing. But I really enjoy his stuff. Uh, and uh, he's, done, he's done some really fun. If people want to look him up, you'll have to look the spelling up from one of your mutants and masterminds. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah he the, did a lot the of the power prof- profiles. Like I think it's I yes. I S Z A A. S K E or something, but um, definitely uh, it's he's in a lot of the power profiles, and he's got a really nice DeviantArt page where he's done some like uh, uh, what they call Project Rooftops um, submissions, yeah. and those are his own redesigns of uh, famous comic book characters. Just you know, here's my idea of what a good, a cool Spider-Man costume would be. He's yeah. done some really cool versions of those. And if yeah, you type and, that into uh, your search engine, just remember, take it from McLaughlin and Lighthouser. If you want to get into the game industry, right. have a name no one can pronounce. <laughs> exactly. Or, or Dossie. Seriously. There you yeah. go. <laughs> so Sean, Sean's name, if people care, is I-Z-A-A-K-S-E. Okay. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, so he's got stuff in there. The cover is uh, – I don't know if all – well, I should say both of the covers. Um I don't know who's doing the covers. I know MK Ultra was doing some of the. They, they must be doing all the covers. So it's probably going to be MK Ultra who's been doing the other covers for the M&M books. Cool, cool, very cool. So are they the ones who did? Uh, I'm trying to remember. That's not the the group that did the the Game Master screen and the uh, Heroes uh, book, is it? I think that was. Imaginary Friends. That was Imaginary Friends, right? Yeah. So um, I think it's. Oh, and maybe it is Imaginary Friends. I, I like. I am not the art director. Uh, <laughs> that, that's the only that thing I can. Hell. That would be hell. That would be hell. Yeah. So it may actually be Imaginary Friends. Um, cool. Cool. We, yeah, but it should be pretty good. I saw. I've seen a, a almost final version of one of the covers, and it's really pretty neat. Very cool. Well, again, if you ever need any. PDF proofreading. Just <laughs> shoot them my way. <laughs> Send them my way. No problem. But uh, we 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 um, uh, we're really excited about the Emerald City box set. That's or not box set, but the slipcase. Now, I mean, I actually prefer a slipcase to a box set for so many reasons. But the primary reason is it's so much more shelf friendly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've I've had boxes through the years of games, but 
the boxes never survived to, for me that long. It was always, yeah. it was always, uh, but I have many slip cases that are doing really well, you know, 10, 15 years later. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they've, they've traveled with me from, you know, uh, state to state <laughs> without, without taking too much damage. Um, but, uh, so I'm really excited about that change. That was actually a, a big plus for me. But I'm really looking forward to, to seeing the book in its completed form too. That's that's something I've been waiting for since you first started talking about it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited to get it out the door. Um, I'm, it, it's turned out really well, and I'm I'm really happy with how it's looking. Cool. So you guys also had some other. I mean, you guys do a lot of licensed work over at Green Run, and I mean, you've got uh, uh, two uh, licenses from George R. R. Martin. You've got the the Game of Thrones edition of the uh, Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game. You've got the you've got Wild Cards. And there's this other comic book company. I'm trying to remember. DC Comics, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's awesome. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you guys have also got three books out for the DC Adventures role-playing game. And uh, we should be expecting to see the, the fourth and final book soon, right? Yes, very, very soon. Very very soon. I hope it's very soon. Yeah. Um. <laughs> is, is it is it over in DC's ballpark? Uh. In in their court right now, or is it? Uh, have they approved it yet? Yeah. It's in their well. It's in their hands right now. So they only want to approve in one final stage. Mm-hmm. And so what we end up doing is putting the entire book together, getting all the work from them, and finalizing it basically and then sending it to them to do their editing their their editorial pass which is both editing for content uh, in some cases editing uh and also editing for art like to make sure is this appropriate is this what we want to have here you know all that sort of stuff mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so in order to have the final book we need to request the art from them uh and currently we have the long list of however many dozens of pieces of art that we have requested from them uh they are getting uh and so as soon as all that stuff is in our hands i can't imagine it's going to be more than a few days before hal finalizes it uh and then he can send that back to dc and they will do their their final pass and give us uh whatever feedback they want uh, then we will make those changes rather quickly and then send it back to them again for a final approval and then we're good to go. So that's kind of why it's like, yes, it's coming and it's coming soon, but we don't know when because it's, it's, it's a process. So. There's a bit of back and forth there that's, that's yeah. your usual projects don't have. One yeah. of the things, um, I don't know, uh, you, can, you can tell me to shut up if you need to, but I, I, I kind of have seen some of the proofreading stuff on that and, and mm-hmm. on the previous books. And it's always interesting because you, you interacted with the audience that you crowdsourced some ideas for a lot of the artwork yeah. in the in the uh, in the in the different books for the series and it's kind of always interesting to me to see the difference between you know how we'll grab like a scan or a piece of artwork and it'll actually be like off the cover of a comic book so you'll actually see like lettering still on the thing <laughs> and, and like and like maybe maybe you know the little barcode in the corner or what have you, and then you know when you get to see the final piece of artwork from the digital archives where it doesn't have all that extra information on there and it's a much better quality thing, it's just you know it's like reading the book for new all over again. It's like really yeah, exciting. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really looking forward to the final project on DC Universe for so many reasons. 
Yeah, one, it's, uh, one of it's them selfish. One of them selfish. Yeah. <laughs> it's looking pretty good. And Christopher, if I sent you that uh, PDF, I could have you take a look at that too if you're interested. I would be very happy to. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can send that out to you. I'm sure. I'm sure you'd get a kick out of it. So. Thank you. Thank you. As, as everyone and, and in the audience goes, we want to see it too. Yeah, we want to see it too. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully you won't feel even worse that you didn't contribute to it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was that was a uh, that that was a really exciting process to watch, and I'm really looking forward to it. So do you? Um, so you guys don't you guys don't like to like make announcements of, of, you know, deadlines or anything for these things because you never know what might pop up when it's, you know, but uh, you'll let everybody know when it's going out to the printer and yes, absolutely. Well, and it'll go to, uh, I I believe the way we will do this uh, book as well as it will be released as a PDF before it goes off to the printer. And so if if then other people find proofing errors, which there are always proofing errors, Mm -hmm. uh, um, we can get those fixed before it goes off to the printer. Um, but we have had uh, a pretty good round or two of proofing on this book because we've had the we've had the PDF now for a little while as we've been waiting for art. So uh, it's it's looking pretty good. So solid. All right. So that's yeah, think, think about think about deadlines is you know I bought one of the Futurama direct to DVD movies and they had the trailer for the next one and they advertised coming holiday two thousand eight. And I've been telling all my publishers, you know, from now on, you know, just tell a project is coming out, you know, holiday 2013. And if people are complaining, you know, why isn't it out yet? And it's like, well, you people thought we meant Flag Day. We meant Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, it like, gives you the ultimate fle- flexibility on that. Yeah. Mother's Day. What are, you, what are you complaining about? No, and it's uh, – we would love to be able to uh, announce dates and have them be accurate. But we have learned over time that it is just better to not say anything. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a two-edged sword. I think um, the the challenge, at least from my limited experience, has been trying to keep people interested in talking about stuff when you can't really say it'll be out this date or this time. Mm-hmm. And it's also mm-hmm. hard to to you know keep that dialogue going when when you know it's like okay, I've, I I think we've told you everything we can without actually giving you the book. <laughs> Yeah. You know, kidding aside, one thing that I think the fans should keep in mind is that if a product gets delayed, it's it's almost always because of one or two reasons. Number number one is you've you've had a true act of God, something that you could never have seen happening. You know, artist calls you from jail and explains why he can't, you know, is not going to be on time with the art, something completely out of your hands, or it's because the company is trying to do something new and cool. And you know, I mean, it's great. It's always great to try new and cool things, but every time you try to do something new and cool, you wind up with a whole new set of circumstances of things that can go wrong that you never saw coming. Mm-hmm. But you know the 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 benefit of that is that eventually you get something new and cool. Mm-hmm. But that's just yeah. kind of the price that you pay for new and cool. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That, that I, think, is I, think, I think with gaming, new and cool is actually a big priority with people too. So well, it should be. Yeah. It definitely should be. So what are you saying there, John? Sorry to interrupt. Uh, I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably just nodding my head and agreeing out loud. Okay. <laughs> he was going to say word. 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 <laughs> Yo. Oh, man. I am so glad I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the other thing that uh, folks have been talking a little bit about, and you guys have made an announcement, um, I don't think we can talk too much about it, but I wanted to ask... Um, 
uh, how are things progressing with the Cosmic Handbook that you guys have announced and have been working on? Um, that's going okay. Uh, we've had so many other projects that uh, we've been working on, such as DC and the Kickstarter book and uh, Emerald City, that uh, it's kind of sitting on the side waiting for me to get to it and cobble all the pieces together like I do mm-hmm. and uh, go through and do the development pass. Um, but it should be it should be pretty good. Um, the person who's working on the character creation section uh just sent me a really cool james thing uh <laughs> the other day which was the uh, uh a lot of the uh, sample characters that are going to be in that chapter the sample archetypes i should say that are going to mm-hmm. be in that chapter uh and uh so we've got that coming in soon and uh lots of other pieces christopher i know was talking the other day on another podcast uh about the uh, Freedom 2525 stuff that he rewrote for third edition. and Yay. Yeah. I love the, I love the Freedom 2525 when it first came out. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's more of that. <laughs> yeah. So there's, uh, there's a lot of good stuff that's going to be in that book, and it, it should be pretty fun. Excellent, excellent. Um, compared to – this is something we've only had one um, kind of – we, we, we haven't had as many genre books for third edition yet that we had, you know, you had them kind of rolling out on a regular basis for second edition. Um, but we've had the Supernatural Handbook come out, which is pretty beefy compared to some of the other books. I was just kind of looking at it the other day and realizing that it was a pretty hefty tome. Um, and, and, we should, and we should add for people that haven't bought it yet, it's also stunningly brilliant. One yes. of the best game books I've ever bought. Yes, I have to say that uh, Lucian did an amazing job with that book. I'm, I'm, I was really happy. You know, I was happy seeing it in PDF form, but when I actually hold it in my hand, it's, 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 it just hit me. It's like, wow, this thing is huge, and there's so much in it. There's so much great ideas, especially if you want to write. If, Lu- if, Lu- if Lucian was not such a fabulous human being, you'd hate him for how gifted he is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, or or how generous he was with his time when he did stop by the podcast, and and he even wrote a riddle for us to read on the air and and give away <laughs> free books and stuff. So he was, he is a super awesome guy, and I hope to have him on the show again sometime in the near future. Um, but uh, he is just he's just a, a fantastic writer. I mean, that book is just amazing. Um, I loved his explanation he 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 basically broke horror down into such a simple explanation of this is how it works and this is how you can decide how far to take it with your your players and mm-hmm. he did it in in terms of you know a graphic element you know the period the pyramid uh discussion and i was like this makes everything so much easier to explain mm-hmm. and i just thought that was the most brilliant explanation of how to run horror period that i'd ever seen but um, com- how would you compare like the scope the scope of um, the cosmic handbook to the supernatural handbook? I mean, is it a project about that big? You know, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> See, this gets into that whole like layout of the book and knowing how many words. Oh been yeah. Well, used. okay, okay. Is it? I, I just didn't know if you were. It was something that you could actually look at from that, that yeah. perspective or not yet. Um, I, it's kind of like I, it's 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 got what it needs, and we'll figure out how big it is later. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that's kind of how it is. I mean, we we write to uh, 
uh, a certain size. Let's see. So this uh, this being the Supernatural Handbook is 152 pages. So I will. Boy, I'm trying to think what we had on the schedule for how big the cosmic book was supposed to be, and it's got to be at least in that page range, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Some, something about that size. So uh, it'll be similar. Um, the Supernatural Handbook is kind of like a, a kind of half-bastard child of 2nd edition and 3rd edition mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because it was originally written for 2nd edition, and then we said, Lucian, we need to put this on hold because we're going to switch over to 3rd edition, we don't want to put you in the position of, once again, you know, releasing the last book in the line for for M&M, which happened with and Lockdown from 1st to 2nd edition. And Silver um, Age, and Silver Age. That got to be me instead of Lucian. <laughs> yeah, yep, that's right, that's right. Um, but we wanted to have a little more distance between releases there. So it's uh, we ended up uh, pushing Supernatural actually two or three years later. Uh, and so uh, some of the content changed a little bit. Lucian went back and wanted to expand. And I think he added, I, I want to say, between five and 10,000 words to the document uh, before it went into to layout, to final layout. Um, so it, it did grow a little bit in the intervening time. Um, and then uh, the Cosmic Book, I, I think, is going to be, I mean, it'll certainly be over 100 pages. I don't know if it's going to be 120, 180, 164, or whatever, uh, some multiple of 16, because that's how books are laid out. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so that's kind of, uh, I, I don't know the answer to that question, so I think. Cool, cool. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny because um, you know, as, as as a line developer, you have a yeah, you have a certain set of you know things that you're focused on. As a publisher, I'm kind of like straddling this line because I'm a much smaller publisher. I'm actually looking at things from a slightly different perspective. Mm-hmm. I I have to do all the things you do, but I also have to do the job of the art director and the you know and and a couple of other jobs as well. I don't have as many or as big projects that, as you do, but, you know, I, I kind of look at numbers, and I like, like, I'll hear a word count, and, I, and my mind starts calculating page counts based on that. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I start thinking, it's like, well, that's is, you know, it's like, you know, I'll ask Jack for, like, a 10,000-word, you know, document, um, and then he'll turn in something that's 43 something thousand words and it becomes yeah, a I think, Kickstarter I think Jack project. Is, <laughs> Jack is just bad at math. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't want to tell people he's bad at math when he just took over for uh, Dragon just, Age. But... <laughs> we just killed his law practice right there. <laughs> Sorry, Jack. <laughs> but uh, no, actually Jack is great at math and um, he's also really good at talking me into bigger things. So bigger projects. <laughs> Uh, If you you need a lawyer and you need somebody who's really good at, uh, you know, negotiating on your behalf, I would not hesitate to (laughs) tell you that Jack is the guy because he's really good at negotiating me and I already know his tricks. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so let's see. I think uh, that's about all the 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 news that we had i mean um did uh, christopher want to talk any more about the stuff that he's working on for cosmic or do we want to put a gag order in place and wait till another episode for more of that 
Um, I guess that was a question for both of asking, you. So it's like, John, I'll, I'll, we... talk, I'll talk about it, but I got to clear it with my boss. Yeah. So is that clear, <laughs> boss, or do we need? Uh, to... Yeah. No, he can he can talk about what he wrote about. I think that's sure. Fun. Super. All right, Christopher, tell us a little bit about what's what you've got that we can expect from you for the Cosmic Handbook. Okay. Now, John would be the one to tell you about the Kinsony goodness that's in there, because I think I think the the real the bulk of it is is, is Steve's work, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I did was I got to write the history of the cosmic genre in comics, and that that was fun because I mean my my gut reaction was oh okay we start with Jack Kirby and Jim Starlin in the seventies, but it was great to sit down and look at it and go wait a second this cosmic stuff goes way further back, and really if you think about it you know everything that's in the cosmic genre of the seventies is basically there in the golden age of Superman so I got to take it back to the golden age and sort of walk it forward through Captain Comet and. Uh, uh, that era, and then link it to the Starlin and Kirby stuff of the '70s, which is probably what first comes into your mind if you think about cosmic comics. So that that was good mm-hmm. for me. I mean, I felt like I learned something reading it. Maybe other people will too. <laughs> so, cool, uh, cool. and then uh, I got to be the break down the tropes and themes guy, and uh, that led to I think one of the favorite things I've ever written for Eminem, and that is a, a rule for GMs that if you're doing these high tech science fiction out in space settings you have to obey the rule that any talking piece of technology must try to kill your players at some point <laughs> you know if it talks it kills uh then uh then uh, as i think we've already briefly touched upon yes uh, the freedom city 2525 stuff is making its third appearance in the universe as it's getting bumped up to third edition stats Cool. So yeah, we're we're bring, we're bringing them all back. Uh, you know, you know, Vorgel the Conqueror and Calamus the evil mind controlling squid and all the other great things in there. And uh, I'm I'm just so happy to see that stuff back. You know, especially you know with the 10th anniversary, you're seeing I think the second thing I ever did for the line making a comeback. It just seems such a nice bit, nice sort of book ending. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you. So um, I'm trying to remember his name. Was it Captain Calamari? It was the um, it was the the squid headed pirate. Captain He's, Kraken. Captain Kraken. Yes. That's what it was. Is he going to be in the book? Or his, is he... I I know at the very least that his descendant that's still around the, in the 26th century is in the book. Nice. Because it, yeah, it was fun. It was fun converting him over. You know, I mean, I mean, really seriously. How many times can you write the line facial tentacles and not feel like you're about to get arrested for it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Especially here in the South, you know, I'm pretty just, sure there's just, some. Just whatever yeah. you do, don't transpose the words because that exactly, will change exactly. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So if nothing else, yeah, his ancestor, excuse me, his descendant is in there. Fantastic, cool, cool. Captain Kraken and, and the little adventure from him was one of my favorite things about <laughs> second edition. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that was a pretty fun one. Cool, that cool. All right, well, I do have a couple of little notes from friends of mine. Um, I, I, I asked some folks around the Internet if they wanted to, to ask you guys anything. And um, the first two people who jumped up, let me double-check and make sure nobody else has uh, responded to those threads anywhere else real quick. But um, the first person who jumped up was Jason Tondro, oh, yeah. um, that you guys might know as Dr. Comics, who's oh, yeah. done, done a lot of writing for us as well. But... Uh, um, and it's actually a personal question for uh, Professor McLaughlin. Uh oh. I will. I will read it. I will. That's read not it. me in the pictures. I can tell you right now. Not me in the pictures. <laughs> I will. I will read this word for word. So this is not coming from me. This is literally exactly what Jason Jason <laughs> oh, asked. 
He says, Dear Professor McLaughlin, why are you such a comics curmudgeon? What would it take to make you genuinely eager to read comics again? I mean, besides Flash. <laughs> um, well, okay. Uh, to try to make this answer answer as short as possible. Um, okay. um, I, I adore Silver and Bronze Age Marvel, but since then it's gotten way, way, way too dark for me. There's no way that Norman Osborn should be drawing breath, for instance. I mean, you know, I mean, to me, it just it just sends such a horrible, horrible message that, you know, that that that, you know, we're going to undo the most perfectly satisfying ending in the history of comics. And that is him being properly punished for killing Gwen Stacy, that we're going to undo that for the sake of sales. Mm-hmm. It really makes it. I mean, I mean, granted, it's probably quite a push to say that comics are an art form, but that really, 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 really does make it seem to be awfully, awfully, awfully more commerce than it needs to. And you know, I mean, and, and if you're saying, well, what else would you've done if, instead of bringing back Norman Osborn? I don't know. Maybe tried something new. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's a radical thought these days. And DC uh, are fine, wonderful licensor who I adore and love, well, let's just say I'm a, I, I, you know, I, maybe they're excited about bringing back everybody who worked for Image 20 years ago in bankruptcy Marvel. But uh, to me, you know, there, there, there are <clears throat> more significant talents in the industry I would give more work to. And uh, especially on the art side, because, uh, you know, of all the people that I ever wanted redrawing the DC universe, Jim Lee, I think, is roughly the number 5,728. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so, you know, again, it's a matter of taste. I'm sure, there, mm-hmm. I'm sure there are people out there talking about how cool it is that, you know, Tom DeFalco is cashing checks again. And, uh, you know, and Jim Lee apparently is, is back at the drawing board. And if that's your thing, that's fine. But you know, to me, I just I want I want a little I want a little I want a little less I want want art that that suggests the the one thing that DC always had over Marvel, and that's a sense of its heritage, its tradition, and its legacy. Mm-hmm. You know, but nothing is more out of style than the fact that DC was the, was was in many respects the first comic book company, and it's it's just really 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 hard for those for those of us who remember that and love that about them to see them throw that out like so much rubbish. Mm-hmm. And I'll shut up now. <laughs> that's you know I, I have to say I, I can't argue with any of that, but Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's how that's kind of how I feel about it. But um, then this question I think is is for both of you, and this is uh, Sketchpad DT DT Buccino. Uh, uh, I think mm-hmm, I think he's mm-hmm. I think he's Sketchpad on the Atomic Think Tank yep, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and he asked a more broadly uh, pleasant question i think uh, and this will go over to john first who are your favorite comic creators and creative teams hmm. <laughs> you know actually probably going back to and of course this is when i started comics right and other people would have very different answers uh i think the i, I absolutely love john byrne Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the burn and Claremont run on X Men back in the late seventies, early eighties um, is certainly some of my favorites. Um, my uh, oddly enough, uh, my other favorite favorite guy from that time period in terms of writing, uh, 
who I wish he would do more that would be more successful and at least these days uh, is Jim Shooter. I, th- I think he was a fantastic uh, editor and writer. Uh, and I know people in the industry hate him because he was very controlling, but you know, whatever. Um, and uh, I, I do like Jim Lee. Uh, sorry, Christopher. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to think, uh, boy, there are people who have had some fantastic runs over the years and, and I think, uh, as with any creative endeavor, people kind of get burned out on things. Uh, I think Chuck Dixon for a long time was a great writer. Uh, Peter David, great writer for a long time. Um, uh, uh, be all end all for me. Cause he's a flipping genius is, uh, Alan Moore. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody who could intelligently argue that he is not a creative powerhouse and deserves to be on the top of the list. Um, Paul Pope, huge comic book artist or huge fan of his art. Um, it's weird and twisted sometimes in terms of how he interprets superhero characters, but his superhero stuff is not his favorite stuff for me. Uh, it's not my favorite stuff of his. Um, but there's uh, I have a long list uh, and it really depends also on the genre that you're talking about because, you know, I love bone. I love, uh, um, who's the guy who does Alec. Uh, why can't I think of his name? He also did, uh, uh, he also did from hell with, uh, Eddie Campbell. Mm, yeah. Uh, Eddie, I, I love the chicken scratchy style he's got with his art. And it really, yeah, the, the interesting thing about that, uh, from hell, um, which far and away, you know, kicks the snot out of the movie. So if you haven't read it, I definitely recommend it. It's, it's still a very kind of, um, fanciful idea of, of, of the, of the concept of the serial killer. But, um, what I really liked about the presentation of the artwork was how it was based on the the uh, book and magazine and, and newspaper illustration style of the time. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, he's he's pretty incredible. Yeah, but um, so yeah, uh, some some great names in there. Um, just to drop my own hat or drop drop some names I, I like. I'm a big fan of uh, the. I I grew up in the mid '80s enjoying comic books. I I always felt ripped off when they took Spider-Man's black suit away and turned it into a villain. So I know no. I, I it, you know Venom never sit set well with me because no. it made he, me feel he like... is probably my least favorite character. <laughs> I hated him, yeah, but I, I really I still do. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I I liked the that period of um, the Teen Titans. I loved the Marvel oh, yeah. Wolf, Marv Wolfman and um, oh yeah, I see. Now you're just going to name people. I'm going to feel bad about not naming. <laughs> Wolf, Wolfman Perez. Uh, yeah. Who's the other artist whose style is so similar to Perez, who's uh, um, been in the last decade or so? Um, <laughs> of course, I'm a big fan of some of the '70s stuff that uh, I wasn't yeah. really. You know, on a monthly reader then, but I still look back on it like Dick Giordano, um, and uh, of course Bernie Wrightson, um, who just did some of the coolest weird stuff. And I've got to meet him in person. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. At, he did uh, great at, stuff at a con, and and he was always, I mean, he was really super nice, and I've always loved his artwork. Um, but uh, I mean, you know, he he created the Swamp Thing as I remember him. Mm-hmm. And uh, things like that, 
But, um, um, you know, it's kind of weird because I've spent this weird period of my life here revisiting and, and, you know, checking in on some of these creative forces that I, I admired as a kid or I would always look for their names and want to grab a book like, you know, Neil Adams and, and, and people like that and kind of seeing them go a little bit crazy um, when too much of their <laughs> non-artistic side got revealed. So, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, Frank Miller and... Oh, yeah. <laughs> good old, yeah, good old Frank Miller. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, sometimes, you know, it does help to be a little bit crazy to be an artist, but I don't think it helps your your uh, your fan base any to let them know how crazy you are. <laughs> but I mean, some of these people, like I really liked in one time frame, and I would change, you know, because they would change, and I would suddenly, you know, fall out of love with the stuff they did. But um, I really enjoyed the uh, Chris Claremont, um, John Byrne era of X-Men, too. Um, I was really interested in Bill Senkovich's stuff, but I always thought, wow, they keep putting him on books that I would never put him on. (laughs) Yeah, I I am the same way. Um, Like, I thought his Electra book was actually good, but the, uh, like, on the New New Mutant stuff, I, I was not the right age to see that artwork with that book but yeah, was, I, was, was I, I totally appreciate the art like it's gorgeous stuff it just was it it's was very expressionist it's very expressionist i mean it has this yeah. this very bold and i think it's really appropriate for the more fanciful stuff like the ghost bear storyline it really mm-hmm. worked well there but when when he was just like oh here we're gonna give you this sci-fi you know robotic character you know that they called warlock and he's going to be kind of this the shape changing technical thing uh bill sinkovich is not the guy i would have put on that it's like okay there's these black brush strokes and we're going to run little yellow lines through it and that's it it's it's kind of a vague shape with like a weird gumby head thing going on and 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 hair i don't know but uh, I loved Bill Sinkovich uh, for his weird, you know... I, I, I like the fact that during that period was when the artists were suddenly able to break away from these very rigid stylistic uh, requirements that the previous generation had had, where everybody's Superman had to look as close to this model as possible. And now we have these wonderful uh, stylistic opportunities for artists to actually go this is my interpretation of superman yes you're going to recognize the costume but you know you might have like um mike Waringo's superman being very different from dick giordano or somebody mm-hmm. else doing superman and that that all started in the 80s at least from my perspective and i really enjoyed being along for that ride even though some of those some of those team ups were really strange as far as the artists go. <laughs> but um what what's so um I, I guess it's a silly question, but uh we'll we'll turn it back to you. So who are some of your favorites there, Christopher? Well, um having written my third book on comic book history now, <laughs> I think I may have I think I may have a deeper appreciation than I than ever for the fact that just about everything anybody loves about comics Sooner or later, comes back to Julie Schwartz and Stan Lee. Yeah, okay. one or the other. They're yeah. always there. Um, uh, my favorite Golden Age artist is a guy not a lot, not enough people have heard about, Lou Fine. And Lou, oh, yeah. Lou was uh-huh. the most technically 
gifted guy working during that period, but since he worked mainly for co- quality comics, only curmudgeons like myself really know him much today. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see here. Um, moving into the Bronze Age, um, you you know it's hard for me to think Bronze Age and not picture Neil Adams' art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the guy that doesn't get enough credit from that era is Steve Englehart. Mm-hmm. Because I got a chance to go back and reread his runs on Captain America and the Avengers from that era, and just brilliant, 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 yeah. such well done stuff. In fact, yeah, his his stuff is quite good, quite good. Yeah, and my matter of fact, the oh, and the Batman, it wasn't long, but the run he had on Batman after after he left Marvel, great stuff as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, the next next big project I'm going to be working on is sort of a is sort of a, a little. It, it was greatly inspired by re- go back rereading Engelhart's stuff. So I think he deserves all the all, a, a lot more credit than he gets. Uh, but uh, getting back to today, uh, let's see here. Writers, uh, James Robinson, brilliant, brilliant guy. You know, obvi- I mean, he was the thing. He he was one of the guys that brought me back into comics after a twenty-year lapse because he was a guy who I think hit that perfect balance of paying tribute to what had gone on before and still moving it forward in a positive direction. And I don't know if DC will ever have a better era than when you had um, James Robinson doing what he did with Starman and you know Mark Wade doing what he did with the Flash. You know, uh... paying tribute, paying tribute to the past and yet still moving it forward. That mm-hmm. I think that I think was probably DC. Uh, Grant Morrison doing the same thing with JLA. Great, great era for them. Uh, Jeff Johns when he's on. I mean, good gosh. Uh, you know, Blackest Night is still my favorite crossover of all time. I mean, I, 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 it's the one crossover that actually I feel I felt satisfied by the end, and I didn't I didn't have enough money to even read all the issues, and I never felt lost in the story. So I have to give great credit to them. Uh, let's see here. Um, as far as uh, artists, well, it may be cliched, but hey, let's give Alex Ross some credit. Oh, you know, yeah, it's always it, nice to see the, his, his watercolors in there. It changes yeah. things up, but it, yeah, yeah, I love his art. If, if I have a friend who, ha, who, who has never seen a com- comic in their lives or you know, 30, 40 years, and they say, so why is your house being taken over by comics? You know, I'll pull down Kingdom Come and say, just look, just flip through this. Don't even read the words. Just flip through this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and it's it's you know those images. You know, I mean, they're, they're you know I've sucked people into comics just by hypnotizing them with Alex Ross art. <laughs> okay. Um, and lastly, I have to give ultimate credit to the guys who got me back into comics. Hal Mangold uh, slipped a copy of Sandman Mystery Theater in front of me, and Matt Wagner's writing, and especially Guy Davis's art. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing 20 years down the line because uh, because I, that was one where you know I'd loved the Sandman from the JLA JSA crossovers of the 70s and needless to say slightly different take on him in that book but you know just wow this is something I recognize but it's being done in a new cool way that couldn't possibly have been done before this is awesome comics are great yeah so yeah. So you're not a curmudgeon all the time. I'm a curmudgeon when, when a company, I, and I'm just making all this up, none of this would ever actually happen, ha, could have any creator in the world, could do any book they wanted to do, and they come up with, hey, let's make everything WTF certified. Now, that would never happen. 
<laughs> but I'm just saying, hypothetically, if that were to ever happen, that would totally break my heart and show me, and it would be a big message that, you know, they don't want me reading their comics. <laughs> no, that's just, see, I have to disagree there, because you probably enjoyed uh, Assistant Editor Month. And that's this, that the WTF did? certified, yeah, WTF certified is the modern version of Assistant Editor Month. You know, honestly, I, I was out of comics at the time. I, I, I know oh. what you're talking about, but I don't actually have any of those. I know David. Oh. I know. I know. Dave, I know David Letterman showed up, and yes, I, I, res, I respect anybody paying homage to '80s Letterman. But no, I've never actually read any. Read any, read any yeah, so it's just. I mean, not that I am going to actually stand up and defend what I haven't seen, but it's uh, it, that's all it is. It's just the modern version of that, and I, I don't mind them having some fun every now and again with something like that, and it could actually have some fun ideas, but. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to pull people in. It's just a way for them to get their word out to people that something, hey, something's different this month. So that's fine. Get more people to read comics. I don't care. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Yeah, it's kind of interesting looking at what they're doing with comics, and and I have to continually remind myself that you know if I'm if I'm not the guy who's out there buying ten or twenty titles a month, then I'm really not their target audience. And um, you know. When I was buying those books, you know, it was because they spoke to me and to my generation. And uh, it's, it's really kind of hard seeing, you know, watching, watching the different companies try to find the voice of this generation of readers and, um, you know, find, or find what they want to hear. Because a lot of it makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, can I follow up on your point? Yeah. To me, I love the fact that they're trying to get in touch with today's audience. Because mm-hmm. if you look at the history of the medium, there's never been anything more unintentionally hysterical than comic book publishers trying to get in touch with their audience. <laughs> Everything from the original Luke Cage Power Man up to uh, up to uh, who, who was the truck and super the, 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 the truck and superhero US One US the truck and superhero that Marvel had. Yes, Heck yeah. And, that was and you know, I, I mean, I mean, when when I saw that DC, uh, you know, maybe you know, I, th- I think at least two years too late, they're going to do their Occupy superheroes book. That thing is going to be a laugh riot. I cannot. <laughs> I, I will be. I will. I will camp out in front of the comic shop to buy that and just see how utterly clueless to what <laughs> Occupy is about that that is. And I know it's Gail Simone. I love Gail Simone to death. But and, and you know maybe if she were writing it without edit, editorial oversight, it might be a book worth checking out. But I really can't wait to see what this major multinational corporation is going to say about the Occupy movement. It should be priceless. <laughs> I can't argue with that. I, I hadn't even heard of that, so now I'm interested. <laughs> yeah, they're they're advertising that's going to be the book for the 99 percent, and they're also resurrecting that. That god awful Joe Simon title from the seventies, the Green Team, and they're going to be out there representing the one percent. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, on that note, yeah. <laughs> response to that. Yep. Um, I uh, completely forgot what I was going to segue into. Let me let me check my notes here and see if I'm missing anything. <laughs> I think we covered everything that uh, that I'd set out to, and I hope uh, hope our listeners got some fun out of our answers to their questions. Yeah. I'm um, sure we covered everything and then some. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
and one of these nights I really have to get uh, uh, Christopher on board and just talk movies, but I'm not sure. I, I still haven't figured out a good excuse to segue into that from uh, superheroes and comic books, except for you know the recent superhero movies. But uh, Chris and I, Christopher and I, share a, a strong love of really bad film and uh, <laughs> <laughs> mystery science theater and all that good stuff. So we're gonna have to have some sort of I don't know, April Fool's episode or something where we just talk really bad movies sometime. I'll tell you the storyline idea I got from seeing the the uh the the Incredible Hulk reunion movie they did with Thor. Oh jeez. Oh all right. that's awful. Yeah. Oh tell us. <laughs> well, okay, all right. Um there there's there's a scene there's a scene where Thor is acclimating himself to modern times by drinking an entire six pack of Coors beer all at once. Uh-huh. And you know, being raised in the South, I, of course, I, I think we actually took a school f- field trip to see Smokey and the Bandit. You know, the key plot point of which, of course, is that it's illegal to truck Coors beer east of the Mississippi or it's bootlegging. So I got the idea for doing like a 70s car chase movie where the Hulk and Thor are trying to get like like 600 cases of Coors beer to Atlanta in under 20 hours. <laughs> You know, and I, I had the lyrics to the theme song, you know, Hulk gonna do what they say Hulk can't do. <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> righty then. Thank you so much, guys, for stopping by. <laughs> and thank you, Christopher, for ending us on a laugh. Thank um, you. That was awesome. I, thank I, you. I, I can totally see that picture in my head, too. <laughs> <laughs> um. I hope uh, hope in the in the coming week I'm I'm hoping to have Jack Norris stop by and talk up Dragon Age. I'm gonna see if I can't uh, find some time in uh, Chris uh, excuse me Chris Primus's schedule to invite him along as well. But uh, he's he's been incredibly busy lately. Um, but I will also try and see if we can't get Donna. If in, anyone's interested in hearing Donna Pryor's. Uh, stories about uh, what she's going to be talking about and doing with the uh, convention, promoting convention gaming. Um, let me know. Um, you can either reply to this uh, podcast or you can um, comment on uh, on the www.vigilancepress.com uh, stories and and uh, let me know. Or or you can also find me on Facebook and Google Plus. Google Plus. I keep saying Google Plus. <laughs> Google. Google Plus. <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, you know, we we love to hear from you guys. We want to try and make the shows as interesting as possible. We'll try and uh, have some more shows. We we were really slow for a while um, the past couple of months because of the holidays and other projects that have demanded my time. But uh, as uh, my time demands grow even greater, I have you know, vowed not to let that hold me back <laughs> from doing more podcasts. So we'll, we'll have some more coming up and, uh, any, any time we can have you two along, I would love to have you guys back again soon. Uh, uh, John, it's always, always a pleasure to talk to you and Christopher, it's always great having you on the show. So well, thank you, sir. Thank you both yeah. for joining us. Thank you all for the listening and until next time, stay vigilant.